Amen, God, we thank You for Your goodness to us, Your faithfulness, Your kindness. Words, in fact, can't capture fully, Lord, just the depth of our heart's gratitude to You today, Lord. And so we thank You, Lord. And we know that, Lord, You're so near here with us this morning. We've sensed it already. And You long to speak to us, Lord. Wherever we are on the journey of life or faith, Lord, You want to draw near and speak to us this morning. So we open our hearts to You now in Jesus' Name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to add my welcome to you. It's so great to have you sharing with us today, especially on our Thanksgiving Sunday, as we look back and it's just so much to give thanks to God for. It's been a many ways a season with some challenges and changes and uncertainty, but in the midst of that, God's just poured out His blessing in incredible ways. And uh, make sure you have a read of that booklet. You'll be encouraged to read those stories. Today, we are finishing our series in the book of Jeremiah. We've been in this um, book for quite a while, in fact, and I know many of you have been blessed and encouraged we've been looking at this together. Do you remember right back at week one, we had the massive tree on the stage? Who remembers the big tree? And we looked at, wasn't that amazing? And we looked at the tree planted by streams of living water, and no matter what the seasons, it continued to bear fruit. We also looked at God's call on our lives through the call on Jeremiah's life and how we've been created in God's image. We have a purpose. He has a purpose and a plan for us. We also looked at the potter and the clay, and uh, we had the pottery wheel up here on the stage as well. And we're looking at how God shapes us and molds us for his blessing, for our blessing and for his glory. We looked at God's judgment and his discipline and what the heart and purpose is behind that. We looked at God's plans for us and the fact that he is sovereign, that he's always in control, that he's always working out his perfect plans. Plus, there was so much more right across the whole series. And today, as we finish this series, I want to take us to the most important message of Jeremiah. This is by far the most important theme, the most important truth. So if you forget everything else from this series, I just want to encourage you to grab hold of this truth. And maybe you're just here for the first time today where you picked a good Sunday to come because this really is going to be the core of um, the message of Jeremiah. In fact, really, it's like the story beneath the story, the message that underlies all the other messages. And it is the most important truth to grab hold of. Many of you may have read it as a child or be familiar with the storybook the Complete Adventures of Curious George. Anyone read that book when you were younger or familiar with that book? Some of you are. Um, it's actually written by authors Margaret and, and Hans Ray. And in the book, Curious George is always on the run. He's always trying to get out of some situation. And the reason for this is actually like a story beneath the story here. It's because the authors, Hans and Margaret Ray, themselves were actually on the run in their own lives. The reoccurring theme of George's narrow escapes were actually an autobiographical detail of the couple's escape from the Nazis. So here's this storybook story for kids, but underneath is actually a deeper story. It's the same with you come to nursery rhymes. I'm sure all of you as kids learnt the nursery rhymes or have taught your own kids the nursery rhyme, Three Blind Mice. Lovely little nursery rhyme about some mice. Well, actually, it has a deeper meaning. It actually has got nothing to do with mice at all. The farmer's wife in the rhyme refers to Queen Mary I, otherwise known as Bloody Mary, the one who burned hundreds of Protestant heretics in Tudor England. And the three blind mice were actually three noblemen who were convicted uh, of plotting against her and who, who, as a result, she burned alive at the stake. But you're never going to recite that to your kids again, are you? Now you know the true meaning of that nursery rhyme. And then there's my favourite um, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. 
These have sold more than 100 million copies, some of the most popular children's novels ever written. And as many of you know, these books actually have a deeper meaning as well, a deeper truth, a deeper uh, message to them. C.S. Lewis was a staunch atheist, brilliant mind, absolutely brilliant, um, um, gifted mind that, that he had. And he actually came to faith... Uh, in Jesus, and he described himself as the most reluctant convert ever. But when he did come to this point of placing his faith and trust in Jesus, his life was completely transformed, and he wrote the Narnia Chronicles, and in these stories, Aslan the Lion actually represents Jesus, and the deeper message of these stories is the story of um, the, the God's plan of salvation for the world, and the gospel message, the good news of Jesus. But it's certainly possible to read all the Chronicles of, of Narnia, all the, all the books in that series, and miss this deeper, even more amazing message. And it's the same when we come to read Jeremiah. We don't want to mean to, to, to miss or miss out on this deeper message, this deeper truth. And if you take hold of this truth, the reason this is so important is if you take hold of this truth, it literally will transform your life. It is that significant. It's not found in just one chapter of Jeremiah. It's actually found right across the book of Jeremiah. So I'm just going to look at two main sections today to show you this truth. And so turn with me to Jeremiah 23. It'll come up on the screen. You can follow on your devices or on your Bibles there. Jeremiah 23. I'm going to read some of this chapter together. This is what it says. It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. And the shepherds that Jeremiah is referring to here are the political and religious leaders who are meant to be overseeing the people of Israel and they'd failed to fulfill their duties. They'd done a terrible job of it, in fact. He continues, verse 3, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And here, God is saying, I now am going to shepherd um, my people myself. Right? I, I'm, I'm going to make sure this, done is, this job is done right, so I'm going to be their shepherd from now on, is what he says. And then he says, in verse 4, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. And these promises were fulfilled when God brought his people back from exile in Babylon. The restoration of Israel begins under King Cyrus in the 6th century. It continues into the 5th century BC. God's people returned to Judah in large numbers during this time. And God appointed good shepherds over them, men like Ezra and Nehemiah, who actually did care for God's sheep, for his people. But like most of Jeremiah's promises, these promises had like a, a, a double fulfillment to them. There was another truth, a deeper message that was going on here. And he continues, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. What's, what's God talking about here? This reference to David, speaking about King David. And God's people knew that it had been foretold that the Messiah who was coming would be, would be through David's family line is how he would come. So they're, they're listening now. Isaiah had said 100 years earlier before Jeremiah, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, Jesse being King David's father. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit, right? So this is familiar. 
to God's people. This is the prophecy about the Messiah coming. And then it continues, and he shall reign, this Messiah, as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So Jeremiah here is clearly pointing forward. 600 600 years before Jesus even is around, he's pointing forward to Jesus and the message, the truth about what Jesus is gonna do for his people. And just like the Chronicles of Narnia, this is the deeper truth. He's trying to point us to Jesus. And this is not to discount or override God's word and his promises to the people of Israel. In fact, just the opposite. This is a part of their story. There is simultaneously unfolding this bigger plan that God is unfolding for the whole world to bring blessing and, and redemption to the whole world. Through the coming of Jesus, this King, this Messiah, as we become aware of this, we begin to see Jesus right throughout the book of Jeremiah. In so many ways, Jeremiah is giving a preview of Jesus' life and ministry. Let me just give you a few examples. Um, here's a couple for you. Both lived in a time of political upheaval and unrest for Judah. Both were weeping prophets who lamented over the city of Jerusalem. Both condemned hypocrisy and foretold disaster unless the people turned away from their sin and turned to God with all their hearts. Both of prophets were plotted against by the citizens of their hometowns. Both were rejected by the religious and political leaders of their day. Both rejected the temple worship as corrupt and beyond repair. And in fact, when Jesus is turning the money tables in the temple, he quotes from the book of Jeremiah directly. Both were forcibly taken into Egypt because of political persecution. If you know the the story, Jesus' story, both were falsely accused, arrested, unjustly beaten, both were described as being like a lamb led to the slaughter. It is really quite amazing when you begin to see this. You just see everywhere Jeremiah beginning to point us, give us a a, a foretaste or a preview of Jesus' ministry as well. And finally, both preached the new covenant of God that would transform a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Listen to what Jeremiah says in chapter 31. This is what he says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. What a promise. This is the promise of this future new covenant that is coming. And as we fast forward to the, to the New Testament, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's having his last meal with his closest followers, the disciples. And at the end of the meal, he takes the cup of wine that's on the table. And as he takes hold of this cup, he says these words, knowing he's about to go to the cross. This cup is the new covenant. There it is. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He's saying, I am the one. 
I have come to bring about this new covenant. Then we read in Hebrews 9 verse 15, for this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. You see, this is the deeper message of Jeremiah. He is pointing us to Jesus, the one who is coming, this new covenant. 600 years before Jesus would even come, he was saying there is a hope for the future. The whole theme of this series has been called hope for the future. And Jeremiah was continually saying this and he was actually pointing us to the one who would come who would bring an ultimate hope for our future. Our hope is found ultimately in Jesus, is what Jeremiah was pointing us to. Everything before is just a foreshadowing, a foretaste. He is the fulfillment of every promise, every prophecy. And it's not just in Jeremiah, but in fact, the whole of the Old Testament is actually pointing us continually again and again towards Jesus, towards His coming. I read an interesting article about this from Christian author and apologist Josh McDowell. He says this, the Old Testament contains 60 major prophecies and 270 ramifications about the Messiah and Jesus fulfilled every single one of these predictions. He says the probability of Jesus fulfilling merely eight of the 60 major prophecies is one in 100,000 trillion. That's 15 zeros if there's any... um, people interested in that. To put these odds in perspective, he says, imagine the entire state of Texas is covered with silver dollars two feet deep and one of them is marked. All of the silver dollars are then thoroughly mixed together and then a a person is blindfolded and instructed to reach down and pick up the marked coin on his first try. The chances of that occurring are the same as Jesus fulfilling just eight of the 60 major prophecies, but consider the fact that he fulfilled them all, every single one of them. He says the probability of Jesus not being the Messiah is mathematically impossible. How amazing is that? And I want you to know this morning, maybe you're here, maybe you're exploring faith, maybe you're thinking, well, I've just, you know, got to check my brain out here. There's nothing, no basis for this thing. It's just, just some sort of experiential thing. I want to tell you, there is so much evidence for the truth of Jesus and his word and who he is. And I want to encourage you. Like C.S. Lewis, the atheist, brilliant mind, he came to the point based on the evidence and the, and the experience of Jesus in his own heart, own heart that this is real. So I want you to know that this morning. If you're asking those questions, to, to bring them to God, to ask them, to explore more in this whole area. But Jesus truly is the center of all of human history. We see this. And if you were to um, sort of imagine for a moment this whole stage across here is a massive timeline of, of history, history of the world, then right in the middle of that timeline would be the cross, would be Jesus coming, his birth, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his life and ministry. This would be the center of all in human history. There's no wonder that our calendar is based on this dating system. No, no surprise in that at all. And imagine for a moment that on this side is everyone looking forward, all the Old Testament prophets, they're looking forward like Jeremiah and the others are saying, there's one who is coming. We're looking forward in faith to the Messiah, Jesus, who is gonna come, the perfect king, the righteous one. 
And then Jesus comes, we're gonna celebrate that in Christmas. We have that recorded, the gospel accounts, so we can read it, the verifiable accounts. And then the New Testament believers, us including this, we look back to Jesus coming as the center of God's plan for salvation, the center of all of history. We look back in faith to what Jesus has done. But I wanna tell you, we are so blessed to live on this side. On this side, they were living in the old covenant and they looked forward to a time where they had heard about how God was gonna come and pour out his spirit and he'd dwell within them and they'd be under this new covenant, not the sacrificial system anymore. And they could not wait. They dreamt of a moment where they'd be able to experience God like that. And here we are. Do you see how blessed we are to be on this side of salvation history to say, we can know God personally in our hearts. We are under a new covenant can know this forgiveness in our own life and being born again, and it's an incredible truth. And this really is the deeper message of Jeremiah that transforms our lives. We heard it this morning. Our first service, Dwayne was baptized. He shared about the difference Jesus made in his life. Chris so powerfully shared with us the difference that this truth makes. And Jeremiah actually explains to us exactly how Jesus transforms lives. This is what he says. I want to read again the last part of Jeremiah 23. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, talking about Jesus, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. Listen to this part. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And this is the key, this name, the Lord is our righteousness. This changes everything. This simple little title seems so simple. It's actually incredibly profound and changes everything for us. This is actually a play on words here when Jeremiah says this name because the king at the time when Jeremiah's prophesying was King Zedekiah and his name meant the righteousness of the Lord. Righteousness of the Lord was his name, but he was anything but righteous. He was a terrible king. He was hopeless. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and so on this play on word, um, play on this, this, this title of Zedekiah's name, he comes and he brings the, the, the righteous king's name. But across history, what we see is that actually across Israel's history, not one of the kings got it right, even the best kings They mucked it up, they didn't get it right. And Jeremiah is saying there is coming a time though when when a truly righteous king is gonna come, talking about Jesus. But there is more. Notice he says that the king's name will be called the Lord. This time the king's name will be called, not just the Lord is righteous, but the Lord is our righteousness. This is what changes everything. Because although the people of God, the Israelites were pretty quick to, to sort of blame the kings and say, well, it's their fault for all of the mess we're in and they didn't get it right. But they were actually a key part of the problem as well, weren't they? For 22 chapters, Jeremiah has documented the sins of God's people in careful detail. There were no, they were no more righteous than the kings either. Here they are trying to blame the kings, but they were just as much a part of the problem. They broke every one of God's commandments. And back in chapter five, God promised Jeremiah, that he would forgive his people if Jeremiah could find just one good person. And so Jeremiah goes out and he searches high and low to try and find one good person. He walks up and down the streets, down the alleys. He searches absolutely everywhere, but he could not find even one person to be righteous for the people. 600 years later, the apostle Paul would 
come on the scene, he would encounter the exact same problem. He looked around at all the sins of humanity, including his own sin. And he wrote these words in Romans 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul reaches the exact same experience or conclusion as Jeremiah. He looked high and low. He could not find even one righteous person. Now, you might be thinking, reading that, that this is a bit harsh. Like, surely there's one good person out there. I mean, you might think, well, I know some pretty good people around. And, you know, you might think about your own life, think, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not a terrible person. I'm a pretty good person. And the reality is, is that we do see a lot of good in our world. We do. In the midst of all the evil that is out there, that we do see good. We see acts of kindness and sacrifice and love and generosity, which is part of the image of God that has been placed within each and every one of us. But the reality is, is that deep down, all of us have a heart problem. Every single one of us. Let me try and show you this or show us this by just asking a few questions. Just to think about these questions for a moment. Have you ever had a jealous thought toward someone else? Have you ever gotten angry and lost your temper? Have you ever twisted the truth a little bit just to make things work in your favour? Have you ever coveted what someone else has? Have you ever secretly hoped the worst for someone or a group of people? Have you ever gossiped about someone else to others in a way that you know would hurt them or even worse, maybe to get revenge and back at them in some way? Have you ever acted unjustly towards someone? Have you ever held on to unforgiveness or harboured pride deep down in your heart? Have you ever cheated in a situation or taken credit for something that you know you didn't actually deserve to take credit for, wasn't something you actually even did? Have you ever idolised or worshipped something or someone other than God? And I know that as I ask those questions, there is not one person here or online, not one single person who can say that none of those apply to me. I know that because the reality is that there is no one righteous, not even one. Jeremiah's correct. Paul was, had it right when he discovered this. But here in chapter 23, Jeremiah finally finds the person. He finds one who is righteous, the good shepherd, this son of David, this wise and righteous one. But his name is different this time. It's not the Lord is righteous this time. The king's name is the Lord is our righteousness. And this is massive. This is This is incredible to get hold of this truth. What Jeremiah is prophesying here, perhaps even beyond Jeremiah's comprehension at the time, is that the goodness, the integrity, the moral perfection of the righteous branch, Jesus, would actually come to belong to God's people. That his righteousness would be credited somehow to their account. So that when God looked on his people, he would no longer see their sin and their unrighteousness, but he would see the righteousness of their perfect king, the Messiah who would come. And in reality, 
This is the only answer to the problem of our unrighteousness before God. You look at the story of the people of God. They had tried to live righteously before God. The kings had tried. They kept failing miserably, just like us. It's the exact same for us. Because the problem is, is that we've actually got this heart problem and what we really need is a new heart. We need to be transformed from the inside out. You can try all you want to live a righteous life, but I wanna tell you now, you're gonna fail and fail miserably. Instead, we need a new heart. And this is the good news that Jeremiah was pointing us to in in Jesus. This is the deeper message of Jeremiah when he said there's gonna come a time and I'm gonna put my law within them. I'm actually gonna write it on their heart. I'm gonna take away this heart of stone, give them the heart of flesh, is how Ezekiel explains it. And he was saying when Jesus, the righteous King and Saviour comes, if you come to him in repentance and faith, He will give you this new heart. You can be born again, changed from the inside out, this fresh start, a new beginning. And even more than that, he says, and then you will also become, he will become your righteousness. This incredible exchange taking place on the cross where his righteousness will now be credited to you. And when we come to the New Testament, this is exactly what we see. This promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Listen to these amazing, amazing passages. Romans 3 verse 21 says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets, including Jeremiah was one of those prophets, to which they testify. 1 Corinthians 1 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In the Lord, I'm not boasting in anything I've done because anything I try and do is gonna fall far short. Instead, I'm boasting in Jesus and what he has done for me. And then 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, just amazing passage says, God made him, that's Jesus. God made Jesus who had no sin. He lived the perfect life. He was the righteous one. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us on the cross. He would literally take upon himself our sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world. He would take the punishment that we deserved so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only would he take our sin and deal with that, but he would also then credit back to us his righteousness so that we might be made right with God, be in relationship with a holy God. This is the best news in all the world, I wanna tell you. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become righteous, made right with God. Jesus, his name is the Lord, our righteousness. That changes everything. We saw this so clearly this morning in the stories that we shared. I just want to read to you a little bit of Dwayne's story from the first service so you don't miss out on that. But this is what he shared in his story. He said, my work friend came up to me and asked if I thought about asking Jesus into my life. I told him, I can't be a Christian. I can't be that good. He began to laugh and smile at me and said, you will never be able to be perfect. We live in a sinful world and all I have to do is ask and he will help. At that moment at work, I asked Jesus into my life. I said, sorry for all that I have done and the hurt that I have done to myself and to other people. 
A couple of days later, it was like a switch had been turned in me. The guilt and the pain came off my shoulders and I saw everything in a new light. It hit me so much, I was going to the toilet at work just to read my Bible, is what he said. <laughs> this transformation that took place in Dwayne's life and he realised he realized that his righteousness, he would never be good enough. Instead, he needed to receive a righteousness from God through Jesus and it transformed Dwayne's life and he was beaming in the pool this morning. And then Chris shared this so powerfully in his story as well, captured this perfectly and just fits so well with the message. Let me just give you a few lines back of his story. I thought until Bridgie, I was a good Catholic man, never missing a Sunday mass since uni. But in truth, I was becoming an increasingly angry man. No driver who cut in was left unscathed from my judgment and my righteousness, hear this, my righteousness was followed by judgment, not understanding. I was like the prodigal in Luke 15, not the son that went away, but the one that stayed with his father who thought his ritual ceremony and staying with his father was enough. But I actually missed the most important thing, having a relationship with him. I've depended on my own controls, my own will to mark my successes and he watched patiently walking with me, always faithful, knowing what fueled me was to prove I wasn't worthless but all the time I was already worthy of his love. And what I realise now, he wants me to have a new fuel, his eternal spirit within me. This is the new covenant promise. When I felt worthless, I have looked for substitutes in all the wrong places. My belief in my own controls and stoicism created a self-prison of my heart. I mistook hardness for strength when it was really my false idol that kept me from a relationship with my father and family. When you have a hardened heart and believe in that strength, righteousness is based on judgment rather than God's heart which is one of acceptance and mercy. And now I know his mercy never fails me. Chris just captured this truth of Jeremiah, this truth of the whole of Scripture. In fact, it points us to the good news of the gospel, a righteousness from God given to us. There are two simple responses this morning as we close the service. If you know this truth in your own heart already, you've experienced this, you've come to that point of placing your faith and trust in Jesus, then on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I want you just to pour out your thanks and praise to God. We are so blessed to know this. We are so blessed to be on this side of salvation history, to know this reality, to know the peace of God in our hearts, to know the assurance of our future secure in Him, to know the healing and wholeness that comes from Him, knowing that it's not based on us or, my, or our righteousness, but He has given us His righteousness. This is incredible news. And we want to be marked as a thankful people, not going, yeah, well, that's great, good. This is everything. This is amazing. And we just want to pour our hearts out in thanks and praise to him today. So in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And if you know this truth in your heart, I just want you to turn it all back to praise. Pour out your heart in gratitude and thanks and praise to him this morning. But if you're here this morning as well, this is the second response. And maybe you've never yet experienced that. You, you've never experienced what Chris talked about, what Dwayne talked about. You've never experienced what it means to be in relationship, right relationship with God. Instead, you know this morning, as I've just been sharing, as you've heard Chris's testimony, even the worship you've known, the Spirit of God's been talking to you and you know that you've, there's something missing. There's something Chris has that you don't have. 
You know that you don't have this peace in your heart. You know there's not this sense of God's of, of purpose and you, and you wonder, God, what's this all about? There's an unrest within you. There is a burden that you carry because of the things in your past. And deep down, you know, yes, I do have this heart problem. Well, this, this morning the invitation to you is just to come to Jesus, to come as you are. You don't have to come and fix your life up before you can come to him. He says, come as you are. Because the reality is we cannot fix our lives up. We need him to come and fill us to change. We need him to come and fill us from the inside. And until we experience that, we will never, never know what it means to have that life eternal, that relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so if that's you this morning, if you're in that place, and like I said, you'll know because it'll be the Spirit of God speaking to you. I want to invite you in a moment as we pray, just to pray a simple prayer in your own heart. I love Dwayne's story. He's just at work and he just prayed it right there. You can pray it anytime, anywhere. You can pray it when you're driving. You can pray it at night in your room, lying on your bed. You can pray it in the car. It doesn't matter. You can pray it this morning in a service like this in your heart. But there's that moment for you where you say, Jesus, yes. I'm saying yes to you. I'm not relying on my own righteousness. I'm not trying to prove my own worth anymore. But instead, I'm coming to you in repentance and faith. Thank you for taking on the cross my sin that I deserve, taking the punishment that I deserved as well, and coming so that I might know forgiveness of sins, new life, your righteousness being imparted to me. If that's you this morning, you'll know because God will be speaking to your heart as we pray. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to pray a simple prayer in your heart as we do this together now. So let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. It's been amazing, in fact, just to be in your presence. And I'm so conscious as we come together like this, as we dwell on this amazing truth and promise, Lord, it just fills our hearts to overflowing with thankfulness and joy, Lord. This is the reality. This is the good news, Lord. Thank you that you have come you who knew no sin, lived a perfect life we could never live. You went to the cross for us. You died taking our sin, our punishment, the punishment we deserve. And then not only did you give your life for us, but then you rose to new life again. So we might know eternal life in you. And so Lord, our hearts just overflow with thankfulness, Lord, this message of grace and love and acceptance in you. And we just want to pour it all back to praise to you. As we're bowed in prayer as well, we just want to give an opportunity now, as just in this moment, just if you have never received this for yourself, just in your own heart to pray a simple prayer, just to make it your own prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking upon yourself there the sins that I committed. Thank you for dying the death that I deserve, taking the punishment that was mine. Thank you for rising, rising to new life again that I might have an eternal hope for the future. And thank you for imparting to me your righteousness that I might be in right relationship with my heavenly Father, that I might know his peace and forgiveness and assurance of eternal life. I, I place my faith and trust in you and you alone. Come, change me from the inside out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you've prayed that prayer in your own heart this morning, you've made that your own words in your heart, then 
just want to pray for you now and ask God to bless you. Lord, I want to pray for those who maybe prayed this prayer now in your own heart. Lord, whether it be online or here in person, I just pray right now in these moments that you'd fill them with the joy of your salvation. Fill them with your peace, Lord. Fill them with the knowledge that they have been made right with you. Our oh, precious God, we pray. Fill them with your spirit. Lead them, I pray. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have come to be the sinner's saviour, to transform lives, to bring hope and healing, to bring peace and joy. And so we just worship you now in these moments in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna sing a song as we conclude our service together. If that was you this morning, you prayed that prayer for the first time, I really wanna encourage you, if that was you, just to tell someone that you came with. If you came with a friend, came with a family member, say, hey, that was me this morning. God was speaking to me, I prayed that prayer. Maybe you don't even fully understand the fullness of that, but you know something was going on in your heart. I want to encourage you to tell someone that you came with or come and talk to me or one of the pastors after the service. Say, hey, that was me this morning. We wanna pray for you. We wanna celebrate with you. It's the most important decision you could ever make. I'm gonna give you a Bible gift pack to encourage you and some information to help you on the journey as well. But don't leave this morning without being prayed for or sharing that with someone. But we're gonna stand together. Let's jump on our feet as we worship and give thanks. And church, let's not hold back. We are so blessed. Let's pour out our thanks to our Saviour and our King Jesus.
Oh, King Jesus, we're humbled to be in Your presence this morning. We join with all of heaven, all of creation, pouring out their praises to You this morning, gathering around Your throne, singing out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Oh, Lord, we thank You that You came as our humble servant King to give Your life for us. We thank You, Lord, You didn't hold anything back took our sin, you've given us the free gift to salvation, forgiveness in you and given us the incredible gift of your righteousness. We want to say thank you, Lord, with all of our hearts this morning. Lord, we acknowledge that there was no other way, Lord. There was no other way. Only you could do it. Only you could satisfy. Only you would be the one able to bring us in the right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so we just want to say thank You, Lord. Thank You that right now You're interceding for us. You're praying for us right now, Lord. It's incredible that You would do that right now for each and every one of us. You're our mediator now. You're in, you're in Your throne in heaven mediating for us before our Heavenly Father. Oh, thank You, Jesus, that You would do this for us. We are so unworthy. It's only by Your grace. But Lord, within our hearts, we understand this. We just, the natural response is we pour out our hearts and thanks and praise and we cannot keep this to ourselves. Lord, we've got to tell others the good news that You are the hope of the world, that You are the one in whom true healing is found, eternal life. And so Lord, this week I pray, bless those two and a half thousand hampers as they go out this week. May each and every one of them be an expression of Your great love for those who receive it. Lord, may Your light shine out of us, we pray. Bless all those red frogs working down there at schoolies, Lord, as they bring the light to those young people down there, Lord. May many discover this hope, we pray as well. Lord, as we pray for this next 10 days, Lord, we can't wait just to meet with You, to seek You with all of our hearts again, to pour out our thanks and praise to You, and Lord, to seek Your heart for the future, Lord. Your plans, You, Lord Jesus, the head of this church, lead us, direct us, guide us, because we know You've got a great plan to bring blessing to many, Lord. You came as a Saviour for the whole world. Every person would come to understand this truth and place their faith and trust in You. So lead us this week as we pray, we ask. We pray all these things in Jesus' Name. Everyone said, we need to put our hands together for Jesus. He is so worthy. He is so amazing, so incredible. Please be seated if you'd like prayer. Some of our prayer team will be down the front here. They'd love to pray for you. Don't forget our Connections Lounge is up the back there. If you're new and you wanna meet some people, find out a bit more about the church, they're gonna open up the back doors there. Head to our Connections Lounge. And if you prayed that prayer in your heart, do talk to someone this morning. God bless. Thanks so much for sharing with us.